Hello, and welcome to More Than Words, a podcast about treating the whole child brought to you by the Reading and Language Learning Center. Each episode, we bring in a wide variety of experts from psychologists to clinicians in order to provide you with resources to use on the journey to helping your child or client. I'm your host, Tristan, and today I'm joined by writing specialist, Dr. Cindy Sherman, to discuss expressive writing. Hi, Dr. Sherman. How are you? Fine. How are you doing? Thanks for having me here. Of course. We're very excited to have you here. So I'm just going to have you start off with telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay. Well, I'm a speech language pathologist, um, but I do have a doctorate in special education. So in my research, I focused um, on written language. Um, From there, uh, I developed a a writing program from my research, and I started a company called The Right Turn. We are speech language pathologists, um, but we focus a lot on helping students with writing. Yeah, that's awesome. So you said you have started this business called The Right Turn. So if people were looking to find you guys in the world, but then also online, where would they go? Well, our website is therightturndc.com. And that's the right, W-R-I-T-E, therightturndc.com. We're also in Washington, D.C., near the Tenley Town Metro. So we see students in person. We've got a pretty big space that we can do that uh, socially distance if we need to. And then we also work with students virtually. So you could find us on all our services on our website. Okay, perfect. And I'll make sure to link those in the show notes for people to find. Okay, thanks. Yeah, of course. Well, if you're ready to just hop right in, I am too. Okay. So I know we wanted to talk a little about a little bit about expressive writing. Yeah. And I will tell you that written expression is the most complicated form of communication. It's a complex and cognitive process that requires planning what you want to say, getting your thoughts on paper, and then identifying problems and correcting those problems when revising. So it's no wonder that there's so many, you know, students, kids, and adults that have difficulty with written expression because it is such a complicated form of communication. Right. So would you say there's a a correlation between language and written expression then? There definitely is. Spoken language or expressive language requires organizing your thoughts and being able to effectively express those thoughts. Individuals need to have a strong understanding of spoken language to be successful writers. Individuals with expressive language deficits often have difficulty with written expression. And the reverse is also true. Individuals with writing deficits often have difficulty with spoken language. And so many parents will say that their child can express their thoughts, but can't get their thoughts on paper. However, I have found that those students can express themselves, but their thoughts are not organized or succinct. So even when they're verbalizing, and I, you know, you, you, you might like the speech to text, you might ask them to express themselves verbally, but they may go on and on and not really get to the point. That reflects in their writing. And in trying to get to the point, their ideas are all over the place and they can't organize their thoughts. That can become extremely overwhelming and impacts their ability to get any thought down at all. Then there are the students who have difficulty with language formulation. So they just don't know how to formulate a complete sentence and they don't know how to express an idea. And this too reflects in their writing. Wow. Okay. So I think something we often hear when we hear like a writing deficit, um, something with 
you know, uh, written expression deficits is dysgraphia. So can you explain a little bit what dysgraphia is to all of our listeners here? Right. Dysgraphia is a neurological disorder that impacts fine motor skills and really all aspects of writing. So not only is it not being able to express yourself in writing, it impacts the physical act of writing, which includes the actual act of letter formation. So students have difficulty actually forming the letter. Um, It also impacts spelling and word spacing. So, you know, oftentimes their penmanship or their handwriting is not legible. And so they have very difficulty with language formulation. Students use so much energy, so much cognitive energy on the mechanics of writing that they have little cognitive energy to remember what they wanted to say and in order to get their thoughts on paper. So this clearly affects their working memory as well, because you have a thought, you want to say this, and then by the time you write that word down, you're worried about spelling, you're worried about how to form this letter, um, the spacing is off. All of this there's so they've spent so much cognitive energy trying to fo- you know focus on that that they forget what they were going to say so that it clearly impacts and that's like kind of the working memory piece that that I say you know if we can get our thoughts on paper succinctly it helps with working memory because they've got this thought and they can hold on to that thought for a while but by the time they actually physically get that word down then they've lost their thought Wow. That sounds incredibly frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. It can be really frustrating for students with, you know, and keyboarding has helped a little bit, but still, you know, and then of course there's a spell check that corrects automatically. So that's helped a little bit, but it's still um, helping them, you know, getting their thoughts on paper. And even if you have a student who uses speech to text, they still need to be able to, you'll still have a student using speech to text who has difficulty with language formulation that can't get those thoughts. They still need to go through the writing process of learning how to plan before they write. Right. So even if they're doing speech to text, they need to have um, a structure before they even get that thought down. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the red flags that like a parent or a teacher might notice um, that would point to dysgraphia? So early on, I think a red flag for dysgraphia would be a student having difficulty forming their letters, not being aware of margins when writing or spacing between words. And so I would say early on, the physical activity, not having those fine motor skills where they can actually physically write down their letter at a, you know, when they're younger, that's going to be a really early flag that they're going to have difficulty, you know, perhaps difficulty with spelling, but there are some good writers that just have difficulty with spelling. So spelling is not always, you know, the one red flag, but I would say as far as dysgraphia goes, just really that letter formation and not having the fine motor skills to hold the pencil correctly, being able to form those letters correctly. I would say that's a a red flag early on. Um, As students get older, certainly by, well, I would say a clear sign by, start looking by fourth or fifth grade, Mm -hmm. parents and teachers should take notice if a student has difficulty writing a complete sentence or writing a coherent five sentence paragraph. Um, I've always thought that that's when I really started noticing uh, students in by fourth grade. That's where I, when I really got interested in, as a speech language pathologist, where I got interested in more, mostly in written language is because I saw this progression of students that had, you know, difficulty with articulation and those 
then students had difficulty with reading. But then by the time they were in fourth grade, if they didn't get that instruction explicitly, then they were becoming, you know, they were having difficulty with written language Mm. and not just not being able to get a thought done on paper. I would say, you know, at that point, if they can't write, you know, a coherent five sentence paragraph, even if they're, you're giving them their three things to write about, again, that's another sign of, you know, a red flag for, or written language, you know, or written expression disorder. Right. So definitely checking by that fourth or fifth grade point. That sounds very interesting though. I, it, yeah. I feel like it must be super frustrating as a child to, I'm sure you have like a lot of things to say and then you just can't get them out on paper or. Right. And, you know, I think now there are, I mean, when I first started uh, my research, when I first started working with students, fourth grade was the, the grade that you kind of noticed. I mean, it's like certain things manifest themselves at certain grades when their expectations mm-hmm. are there. And it was fourth grade where students were being asked to write a five, a five sentence paragraph. Right. And so those are the times, okay, but student can't do it in fourth grade, certainly by fifth grade, that's when that's kind of a red flag. But now, you know, I would, it might even be younger now because now students at second graders are being asked to write a five sentence paragraph. Third wow. and fourth graders are being asked to write a five paragraph essay. Oh and God. so the expectations are getting more for these students, which is really compounding a problem if they have difficulty with, you know, any type of written language or dysgraphia. Right. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, your research and when you started noticing things, but how would you go about identifying children with written expression disorders? Well, I always start off with standardized tests. Um, There are a few that are available. I use the test of written language, which is the TOL. Some people say TOWL or TOL, but it's the test of written language. I also use subtests from the oral and written language scales, which is the OWLs, and the SELF, which is the Clinical Evaluation of Language Fund. Uh, language fundamentals. Um, I use those assessments to get a standard measure in order to actually identify a written expression disorder. So without standard measures, um, you really need a battery of standard measures to diagnose a disorder. Um, But these assessments rarely give you the complete picture of a student's writing. The toll, for example, only assesses story writing. Mm. And for older students, they can do fairly well with that. Because if they're, you know, they're given a picture and they're asked to write a story about what's happening in that picture. And they can usually do pretty well. Well, I mean, at least they'll score in the average range. So they're not going to be diagnosed with a disorder. Um, Then there's a subtest of the owls and the self. They don't really provide enough information because they're only, you know, for both of them, students are asked to like finish a sentence Mm -hmm. or write only one sentence down. So it really doesn't give you a clear idea of the whole picture of writing. Right. Um, And because written language also includes revising, there's never any assessments on how a student can revise Mm. and make any changes. Right. So I always start by giving student an essay prompt. I always give them, you know, I usually give them the, um, the toll. And then I'll give them an essay prompt where that's where you can really see written language deficits. Yeah. And then I might use a rubric to score the essays, um, but you can't use that as standard measure. However, to me, that's the best way. That's how to get the most information. But as far as diagnosing with the written expression disorder, you need a standardized test. 
Okay. Um, so I would use that, um, you know, I mean, so you really can't say, well, they wrote a really bad essay. And so I'm going to diagnose them with a standard, with a written language disorder. Right. You need a standard measure. And so with that, I would use the toll, um, self and the owls. Okay. So it sounds like you get a very good comprehensive view of, of kind of what's going on at that point. Yeah. You get a pretty good idea. Yeah. Especially for younger students, for older students it might be a little bit more difficult, but I think you could, pro- for younger students, you could probably get, that's probably a good way to identify them. Yeah. So once you've finally identified them, how do you know where to start with the writing therapy? So I, so like I mentioned, I always start with a story prompt and an essay prompt to get baseline information. And that gives me a pretty good idea of students' strengths and weaknesses. But because most of the students I see have difficulty with writing, they already have their weaknesses. So typically I always start with, by helping them, giving them strategies to brainstorm their ideas, okay. getting their thoughts on paper and writing a more detailed sentence. And and so the beginning of our program, we give them these fundam- fundamental skills. And then um, as we introduce strategies for story and essay writing, we incorporate those fundamental skills. So that's where I always start. I find that students, most of them have difficulty brainstorming their ideas. Once they have an idea down, they can, most of them can pretty much write some kind of, some form of sentence. Right. So I just feel like the brainstorming piece is always really important. And so I always start with that. Um, I then teach them how to categorize those ideas so that they can um, create, and it's too much to go into at this point, but if you, if students can write down a bunch of ideas and categorize those ideas, then that category, you label that category and that becomes your topic sentence. And then your paragraph is ready to go. Wow. So that's where I really start with it. That's why brainstorming is so important to teach students. Students just don't know how to brainstorm sometimes. They don't know how to get their ideas on paper. Yeah. I mean, even get even verbalize their ideas. They don't know how to just just shout out anything that comes to your mind. Don't even worry if it sounds ridiculous. Right. Just say whatever you think um, that comes to your mind, write it down. You don't have to use it, but get in the habit of just free flowing and get these ideas out. There's no bad answer. So that's where we really start with that, getting them to brainstorm their ideas and very, and very talk about succinctly, just a word or a phrase, nothing, you know, because we want that idea to get on paper and then we can elaborate on on that idea. And then in writing more detailed sentences, then we teach them how to then elaborate on that one sentence and write a better sentence. Um, So again, like I mentioned, we build on these fundamental skills as we get into story and essay writing. Um, and then students will implement the strategies using their own baseline essays and their own baseline stories. And this is a great way for students to actually witness and experience how they can become better writers. So we're taking the story and the essay that they wrote, and then we're using that into, we incorporate that into our therapy. So they actually can see, oh, I took this three sentence paragraph. And that was my, and I was done. That was my great essay. Right. Now I've written this great five paragraph essay just by brainstorming my ideas, organizing my ideas, learning how to elaborate on a sentence and being able to then elaborate on all my ideas. Wow. So that's, kind of, that's kind of where we start with that. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. Wow. So then what approach do you end up using in 
therapy after you've gotten that starting point? So my research um, was my research was on using self-regulation strategies and the fixed revising strategy to improve the quality of expository essays. So that's where my research came from. Um, The fixed strategy and the self-regulation strategy are very research-based. There's been a lot of research, especially on SRSD, which is self-regulation strategy development. And, but there was always research that just showed like students can write more like using, using um, some certain strategy for writing, students wrote more, but did that improve the quality? Right. So it was important to teach students how to revise, how to improve the quality of their essay, because it didn't matter if you've got 500 words, if it didn't make sense. And right. so the fixed strategy has self statements that students implement. And we use that approach in our writing intervention. So as I mentioned, we begin by brainstorming and then we teach them how to write a thesis statement from their brainstorming ideas. If they can brainstorm their ideas and they can categorize those ideas, their three paragraphs are ready to go. If they have those three main ideas, they can easily write their thesis statement. So now most of their essays are done. Um, So then from there, the fixed strategy is teaching kids to focus on story parts, which means they want to make sure all the story parts are there. Focus on essay elements. Essay elements are, do I have a hook? Do I have background information? Do I have enough reasons? Do I, did I elaborate? Do I have a conclusion? It doesn't matter at this point if it's good or not. You, you at least must have the essential essay elements, right. the essential parts of a story. On the parts of a story, did I describe the character? Did I describe the setting? Did I have the problem? And if you're older, do I have the rising action, climax, falling action, conclusion? Oftentimes there's those parts missing in a story, which is important to the story. There are some students who will write all dialogue when they do their story. Mm. And then you have to teach them, no, you need to write content. Right. You need to be able to tell the reader what the rising action was. And there can be a lot of rising actions before you get to the climax. So it's teaching them that these important parts And then using graphic organizers, they may have those essay elements and story parts, but then the important piece comes when they're the I and fix is identify problems. Mm. Students need to learn to identify problems. We give them self-statements that eventually, hopefully they'll memorize and that they'll just internalize. We go sentence by sentence and ask students, okay, does this sound right? Does this make sense? Am I getting away from the main idea? Will this get the reader's attention? Am I repeating myself? Is this off topic? These are different self-statements that we teach students to be aware of when they're revising. And so we go through this whole process, sentence by sentence, teaching kids to identify problems, being able to to get them to understand that that sentence does not make sense. Right. Um, Or you have some students who who try to use really mature words, but they use them incorrectly. Yeah. Um, uh, like I had a student that said, I'm going to consume, he's trying to tell his parents that he needs an allowance because he's going to be doing more chores. Mm. I'm going to be consuming many chores. So again, he's trying to use a word. So teaching them to understand that that doesn't make sense. Right. Um, if a student identifies a problem, then they need to know how to X is executed change, how to make that better. We teach them how to add, delete, move, or rewrite. Those are the ways that you execute a change to improve the quality of your essay. 
The other thing we do from baseline to throughout our the therapies, throughout all our sessions, is we teach students to count meaningful changes. So an edit is not a meaningful change. That's not a revision. An edit is uh, capitalization, punctuation, mm. spelling. That's not a meaningful change. It's important that you know how to do that. But I tell students, don't even worry about spelling and punctuation. Write down whatever you want. Get your thought down. And then we'll go back and we can make a revision. Then we go back and we'll do the edits. And so that's the approach that we use. And in the end, students are make, students will start off with two to three revisions. So when we do the baseline, I ask them, okay, write your essay or write your story. And now go back and make some revisions. That's always say a baseline. Right. And they'll literally, I mean, I've had the most I've ever had is one student made four meaningful changes in the 20 years I've been doing this. Wow. Um, most of them make zero or one. They'll oh might, gosh. they do, they'll do capitalization or punctuation or spelling, but that's not a meaningful change. Right. By the, by the end, students are making, especially if you have an older student, students are making 45 meaningful changes. Oh my. And at a minimum, they're doing 20. And these are like fourth and fifth graders because they are learning how to make these revisions. They are learning how to write a better paper. Um, and most of these students will say, I never knew how to revise. And yeah. that's the thing, you know, they're, they just never knew how to do it. So that's the approach that we use. It's the fixed strategy, which came from my research. And um, my research was on an expository essay, but now we've broadened that. So we do that with story writing, expository essays, persuasive essays, and informative essays. And in formative essays, we teach students how to write an annotation and not just underline, not put a question mark, a real annotation, a real detailed sentence. Wow. And that is when they need to write their paper, boom, the topic sentence is ready to go. Yeah. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So it's really helpful. Wow. I mean, the next question I have for you, I feel like has been answered in just the way that you're speaking about the therapy because it's very impactful work, but mm -hmm. Why is it that children need explicit instruction when it comes to writing? That's a perfect word, explicit instruction, because that's what they need and that's what they're not getting. Right. So typical, now I would say writer's workshops have, have become a little better. When I started doing this, say 25 years ago, there was a basic writer's workshop. So I'm going to say, and at that time there was research done on write, the effectiveness of writer's workshops. So a typical writer's workshop was shown to only benefit average and high achieving students. Did oh, wow. not benefit students with learning disabilities or did not benefit low achieving students. Right. Students now, and even then, students are often given a graphic organizer or some form of outline for organizing their ideas. But students are not given explicit instruction on how to get those ideas onto the graphic organizer. Mm. Okay, and that's where strategies for brainstorming come in. They are not given explicit instruction on how to take what's on the graphic organizer and formulate detailed sentences that express their ideas. Right. So they're so they're given that graphic organizer, but they don't know, like, well, how do I get to this point? And now what do I do with this? And that's the explicit instruction that's missing. Um, more importantly, students are not given explicit instruction on how to revise their papers, as I mentioned. Um, like I said, most students will just make the superficial changes like mm -hmm. spelling, punctuation, and capitalization. They haven't learned to really focus on, does my sentence make sense? Right. Does this get the reader's attention? Am I repeating myself? I mean, students might say the same word over and over again. Yeah. And I said, you know what? Let's think of other words. And then when we have to think of another word, let's brainstorm. 
throw out any of the words that comes to mind. And now we have these interactive notebooks. And so students can click on the the thesaurus. It's right there. So if they can't think of other words, I tell them you're repeating yourself, think of another word, they can go to the thesaurus. We now use um, interactive notebooks. The workbooks during COVID, we transitioned from the workbooks, the physical workbook to interactive notebooks. So now everything is online and it's a lot easier for students. Um, We do have still the printed versions, but that's also made it a lot easier to provide the explicit instruction. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So that's what it's, that's, what's really missing. Um, our pro our program really provides the explicit instruction that students just are not getting. Right. And, and it's because the teachers didn't get it either. Right. Um, you know, a lot of speech language pathologists have, I think, you know, you work a lot with brainstorming ideas and expressive language, but it's just a complicated form of communication. So it, a lot of students need that explicit instruction to really know how to get their thoughts on paper. And then more importantly, how to make those revisions that, right. you know, improve the quality. Yeah. I wish that I had had this when I was going through, you know, elementary, I have, middle, I and have, high school. You know, it's so funny. I have parents that tell me that parents say, oh my oh. gosh, I need this. I wish I had had that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not, it's unfortunate, but it's just not provided. And there's so much focus now on reading and math. Yeah. And I mean, even when I was doing my research, there was not a lot of research on writing. There was so much research on reading. And then there was not a lot of research on, there was more on planning for writing. Mm-hmm. There was not a lot of research on revising. Hmm. Then there was, <clears throat> then there was hardly any research on um, whole classroom instruction. It was like oh. small, like single subject design where they would work with a couple of students. But because I had been in classrooms, and I had seen, oh, here's a classroom of 30 kids. Two kids have IEPs, but there are only three kids who can write. Oh so gosh. writing instruction needs, I mean, needs high achieving students need to learn how to write. Right. Average achieving, low achieving students with learning disabilities. And so my research um, collected data on all achievement levels because it showed that our strategies can work with students regardless of their achievement level because students aren't getting that explicit instruction. So they need to learn it at every achievement level. Wow. Oh my gosh. I could ask you so many more questions. Like how do we, how do we get you into all the schools? <laughs> Basically. I, well, that's, well, you know, we're trying now we uh, our interactive notebooks. We're now um, offering subscriptions to oh. schools, to speech language pathologists. And um, yeah, so we've, we've, our notebooks are now available to anybody that wants to learn our program and do a, a wow. quick little webinar. That's fantastic. Okay. Yeah. I'll, like I said, I'll make sure to link your website in the show notes. Can they find the interactive notebook on your website? They'll see pictures of it. Yes. And then there's a place for subscriptions and there's okay. a place to buy the notebooks. We also have a grammar and vocabulary notebook Ooh. that has been extremely popular. Yeah. You don't have to go through a webinar to do it because it doesn't involve the fixed strategy. On the fixed strategy, we really wanted to train teachers how to implement that strategy um, because there is, you know, there is a process to it and in in order to be very effective. But the grammar, the reason I I wrote this grammar and vocabulary notebook is because I would have students, I'd say, don't use a pronoun in your topic sentence. Mm -hmm. And they would say, what's a pronoun? (laughs) Right. I'm like, okay, we need a workbook (laughs) for that. So I have uh, the workbook covers all parts of speech, 
And then we have so many kids that don't know how to do like run on sentences and don't know mm. about punctuation. So we have a whole section of that that focuses on punctuation from periods to hyphens and dashes to semicolons, uh, prepositional phrases. And then we've got a whole section of just vocabulary because wow. based on that, you know, because I'm a speech language pathologist, vocabulary is so key right. to reading comprehension and to writing that we have a whole section on um, being able to um, strategies for developing more in-depth knowledge of vocabulary. Yeah. Wow. That is so cool. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So what can parents do at home to help their child other than grab these grammar and vocabulary books? (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's a tough one because parents may be good writers themselves, Mm -hmm. but may may not know how to teach writing. Right. And I always say, you know, my, my husband was a great hockey player and my daughters and my son played hockey. And he used to say to them, you need to get lower. And they, well, they say, well, I am getting lower. No, but you need to get lower. So he's telling them what to do, but not telling them how to do it. And then one time he said, well, it's like, pretend like you're sitting on a toilet seat. Oh, okay. There's some explicit Mm. instructions. I just told you how to do it. So the thing with parents is that you can be a great writer, but you may not be able to know how to teach writing. And so it's really tough to know. I mean, I think what parents can do is they can just kind of be aware and identify, but it's going to be hard for students, for for parents, if they don't know how to teach writing, it's going to be hard to help. Now, I would say once the student learns a strategy, then they can help, then they know how to support it from there. Right. But um, when we, we have a summer writing groups that students take 20 hours of our program and then every parent is given like a six page outline of everything we've done. It's pretty, oh, wow. not, not even an outline, it's pretty detailed. So I think once parents know the strategies that we're implementing, then they can support it. Yeah. But I think other than being aware of identifying any signs for dysgraphia or written language, I think it's tough for parents to know. And then parents, children usually don't want their parents to help them. Right. So that's the other problem, <laughs> um, especially when it comes to writing, because, you know, most students don't like to write and because it is such a complex form of communication. And so they resist when their parents, you know, do it. And I've had a lot of parents say, you know, I'm a writer or they're a reporter mm-hmm. and they know how to write but they don't know how to teach their kids to be good writers. And I would, right. and that, so my toilet, my hockey toilet story is like the best <laughs> example because my, my husband used to say, you got to get lower. And I would tell him as a speech language pathologist, cause I know that they need more explicit instruction, tell them how to get lower. Right. And then he'd say, well, pretend like you're sitting on the toilet seat. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> and so that got him into college. <laughs> That is fantastic and hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I think that was my last question for you. I think that's helpful. And I like the analogy because, you know, people people will get that. Right. Um, but if there's anything else you want to add, anything you want to, you know, share more on, please feel free. Yeah, I know. I just want to, I mean, you know, if people are interested in, you know, really teaching students to become better writers, um, we've got, I think, a very unique writing program because we, the self-regulation piece we work on is really teaching students to 
internalize the strategies. That's part of the self-regulation. They're setting goals for themselves. Right. They're going through these self-instructions that are on our fixed cards and they're really learning the process. They're learning to monitor their, um, the, monitor their process, whether it's monitoring their behavior, like, oh, you know what? I'm not paying attention. I need to, I need to focus for five minutes, whatever. Maybe that could be a goal. Um, I need to focus on run on sentences. I need to elaborate on my ideas. I need to brainstorm my ideas. This is a self-regulation that you're teaching students to do. So anyway, we that's what I think makes our program unique. Um, like I mentioned, we're now offering subscriptions to our writing program. So if people are interested, have them go to our website. Yeah. And it's just been a very effective writing tool. Students have, there's data on our website to show you the huge differences students have made from our program. Right. So um, yeah, just go to our website and subscribe. Perfect. And like I said, it'll be in the show notes, the right turn dc.com. Right. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming and chatting with us. This is so interesting. And I think pretty eye-opening for me. And I think for a lot of people, because yeah, it's, you're right. We are not explicitly taught how to write. Right. Well, thanks so much, Tristan. I appreciate um, the opportunity to talk to you. Of course. Thank you so much to everyone for listening today. Make sure to follow us on your favorite podcasting app, as well as our social media at Reading LL Center. So you know, when we release new episodes, we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks. Thanks.